So I just wondered, does that guy ever get in? Do they ever let him in? <laughs> Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled hearts prove acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, this is the last in our series called The Great Weight. We've been focusing on people in Scripture, both Old and New Testament, who were forced to wait for something in their life. And um, by your response, I think we could all identify with those people. We all have been in that place. In fact, I think we are perpetually in that place where we have to wait. And we are not good at waiting. It doesn't come to us naturally. That's why I think parents force their children to wait. There are lessons to be learned in waiting. And the Lord, like a loving Heavenly Father, also forces all of us, no matter what our age, you know, to wait. There are lessons to be learned. There are gifts to be received only through waiting. The wait is worth it, as we're going to discover in a moment as we look at Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, a man who waited his entire life for what he calls the consolation of God's nation or God's people. You know, the answer to a lifelong prayer. But as I said, we are not good at waiting. In fact, psychologists have even developed a term to describe our ineptitude when it comes to waiting. They call it the pig syndrome. I don't think because of the gluttonous nature of the animal, but rather the impatient nature of the animal. Uh, both sets of my grandparents, you know, the grandparents Hauer and grandparents Sunderman, were both farmers, and they were the kind of farmers that had every kind of animal, every kind of grain. They were a self-sufficient farm, not as specialized as today. I'm revealing my age a bit. And we would go out, uh, and we would help with chores when we got big enough, and we would slop the hogs. It was called that because what you fed them was slop. You know, you would put some grain uh, in a bucket, and you would add water to it, and it would be the consistency of loose cement, and you would pour it into a trough. And these animals would beat each other away, you know, impatiently trying to get to their food. It stands for Problematic Instant Gratification Syndrome. You know, this need to be instantly gratified and how true it is, you know, that uh, it used to be that fast food for us was warming up leftovers on the uh, stovetop. You know, today, not so much. You know, we have drive through lanes, and I've noticed McDonald's has even added a second drive through lane because we can't get through one fast enough. In fact, I'm revealing some of my... Uh, personality flaw to say it always aggravates me that I always choose the wrong lane. And some mother is asking her children in the back seat what they want. Just make a decision for them. Would you do that? You know, just order for them. They don't need to know. You know, they'll eat anything you give them. And yet 68 million of us in 119 countries, you know, go through the golden arches every day. In fact, you know, I'll make no secret of the fact, here's truth in advertising, that, that uh, Grant Cook, our food service guy, is really upset because I carry a McDonald's cup around on Sunday morning. And I say, well, Grant, if you were here at 5.30 to give me coffee, I would drink from your cup. You know, I do refill it out there, by the way. But, uh, you know, it is convenient. In fact, I think it's more about ease than it is about good food, right? You know, we go through there because it's easy to go through there. It makes it quick for us, and quick is what we're all about, instant gratification. In fact, it was a wonderful thing in the mid to late 70s when they invented this um, 
thing called the microwave. I don't know if you had one of the early ones, but uh, the Amana radar range, they were the first company to come out with them. I remember uh, for Christmas one year, I, I bought Carol one of those Amana radar ranges. Uh, they were about the size of the spare tire on a truck, and they weighed nearly as much. And, and our kitchens were smaller. We didn't have the counter space, and this thing took up all the counter space that we had. But man, we had a microwave, you know. And I think that thing would still be working if we hadn't ditched it along the way. And believe me, they were built to withstand atomic attack. And then electronics, how electronics have changed, incredibly changed. You know, I remember when we first got a phone that we could actually carry around the house, you know. You could set it in its cradle and then you didn't have to have a wire. Remember that, the wireless phone? And now uh, I've redone a few kitchen countertops and I always just backsplash right over that wall mount for the phone who has a landline anymore or who needs one certainly in their kitchen we don't need that anymore and then we went to bag phones as though we were so important or you could tell the rich people man they had the pigtail on their car they had a car in their phone or they had a phone in their car what an incredible thing that was and then we went to uh, cell phones after pagers and then we went to email incredible thing email you could send a letter you could send some thoughts to somebody instantaneously and you could wait a day or two for them to respond after they had got to a place where they could actually dial up and read their email but my staff doesn't email anymore they text and they can text lengthy text but you know why because they can just tell siri what they want to say and she changes their spoken word into typed word and then we have social media it's kind of interesting we post our thoughts on social media whether it be facebook or instagram or twitter and and uh we can wait instantaneously to see if somebody in California likes what we said or not. You know? We're all about the instant. We are not about waiting. It's troublesome. I don't know if you remember this picture from the opening sequence of The Great Wait. I think it was the, the first time that we did a message on waiting and somebody from the Old Testament who was waiting. Uh, we uh, referenced uh, this kind of cute little example, but it's not just a cute example of kids who were placed in a room with a marshmallow in front of them. It's actually an official study that was done by no less than Stanford University in 1970. They followed these kids. These kids are now in their mid-40s, believe it or not. And uh, the test was simple. They put one marshmallow in front of them and they told them that uh, they could eat it if they wanted, but if they waited 15 minutes, they would be given two marshmallows. And it was interesting to watch whether a child could wait or not wait. Those who were successful at waiting uh, were distracting themselves. They would either cover their eyes or they would look at the edge of the plate or they would turn and look at their chair. You know, they, they took their focus off of the thing that was uh, such a tempting morsel. And those who waited then the 15 minutes uh, were granted two marshmallows. And in the course of tracking these people to their mid-40s, they discovered the people who were able to delay gratification, the people who understood the value of waiting, they had higher scores on their SATs, stronger social competencies were noted, a greater sense of self-worth, stronger coping skills, more likely to make plans in the course of their work and more likely to use cognitive or rational resources in solving problems less compulsive in their behavior, which meant they were less likely to develop anxiety, hyperactivity, aggressive behavior, or abuse substances as they grew. There is value in waiting as hard as it might be. We're going to take a look at the example of a man 
who is asked by God and who is gifted to wait and the blessings that come from waiting in the life of Simeon. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 beginning at verse 22 if you'll go there with me. I'm reading from a bit of a different version than you might find over my shoulder but uh, not too different that you won't be able to follow along. First of all we get to the life of Mary and Joseph uh, even before we get to Simeon because they're coming up to the temple where he happened to be is how he gets to be in the story of salvation to begin with. So we read at 22. Now when the days for Mary's purification were accomplished according to the law of Moses, uh, a woman was not uh, allowed to go into the temple until after 40 days uh, of her birth, and then she went with her husband to present an offering for their child. They came up to present uh, the Lord, uh, to present Jesus before God. As it was written in the law of the Lord... Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So they went to offer a sacrifice according to that which was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so they went to make their sacrifice. There's something to be said for ritual. There really is. Uh, It's God's way of saying, pay attention, slow down. It was part of God's established Jewish culture. You know, they were asked to declare that everything that was first in their life was actually God's. The first of their flock was to be sacrificed to God. When they harvested their grain, the first of the grain harvest was set aside, and they were to go down to Jerusalem and make a sacrifice to God. If they lived too distant from the city of Jerusalem to carry their grain and to bring their animal, they could sell it in a distant land, and then they could repurchase an offering to make to God. But the first of everything was God's. Even when the children of Israel came into the promised land and conquered the first city, Jericho, what was required? They were to take no spoil from that city. No matter what kind of gold they found, no matter what kind of riches, it was all just to be left there because the first city, like the first of everything in their life, was dedicated to God. The first child was God's child. And they were asked to go up and make an offering just to remember that the first was God's. That's why the tithe is also God's, the first of everything. And it was a way in which God reinforced in every aspect of their life that he gave you this. He gave you this. He gave you this and so much more. So just acknowledge that by making the first, you know, appropriately his. It's important that you still establish ritual. I hope that you have ritual in your life as Mary and Joseph and as God required of all Old Testament people. You know, it's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I hope that you are often receiving the Lord's Supper, you know. Uh, Do this often in remembrance of me, Jesus said. He wanted ritual to continue. In fact, when the Lord's Supper was established by the Lord, that's why it's called the Lord's Supper, in the upper room the night he was betrayed, they were celebrating ritual, weren't they? They were there to acknowledge the Passover, an Old Testament practice acknowledging that when in Egypt... The tenth plague fell upon the Egyptians. If they marked their home by the blood of the Lamb, the angel of death would pass over their houses. And now, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ, when we are marked by his blood, which we receive in with and under bread and wine, then the angel of death, the judgment that is pending for all people, passes over us because we are covered in the blood of Christ the Lord's Passover lamb. He has established continued ritual for us in the baptism of our children or in the baptism of you as an adult. You know, please come forward for baptism because the Lord promises greatness. He says, be baptized, have your sins washed away, and receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. 
who would not want that in their life? Who would not want that for their child or for someone they love? You know, it's a ritual that God has established with promise. But it's also true in things besides sacraments. You know, in the celebration of Christmas, I hope that you maintain ritual. You know, it's a way that God says, slow down, you know, throughout your busy life, and pause in the celebration of confirmation, a ritual, in the celebration of birthdays or attending funerals or going to weddings. And a nephew who was, uh, chose to be married in Chicago on Sunday afternoon. That's not a good time for a pastor, you know, but uh, Pastor Deanne was gracious to cover service that day, and I had a, a wedding on that Saturday, so I couldn't get away early, but I drove up early Sunday morning and was able to be there. It was inconvenient, but it's important that we be attentive to ritual so I could be with my brothers and sisters and with that young cousin and impress the importance of this situation and to acknowledge it in his life. Same with graduations or even children's Christmas parties or birthdays. Rituals, God's way of slowing us down. So maintain ritual as Mary and Joseph did. Therein lies value. Then we continue with verses 25 through 27. So when they came there, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, who was looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It does not say that he was a prophet. It does not say that he was a priest. I think this is the first year I came to realize that. I've heard other people talk about him as one of the last priests or one of the last prophets. It doesn't say that. It just says he was a good guy. It says he was a man who believed in God, and he expected God to keep his word. I hope that would be like all of you. You could be Simeon. You know, he was just a man who was attuned to God. But by waiting... And by being forced to wait for what had not yet happened, the consolation of Israel, you know, he saw his nation under oppression, uh, sin oppression, but also Roman oppression. We don't know what kind of consolation he was looking for. We know what kind of consolation he received. But in the waiting, there was an increased sensitivity. There was a benefit to be gained by him in the waiting. For it had been revealed by him, uh, by the Holy Spirit to him, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It might be for you that you will not see death before you see the Lord's response to your waiting. In this case, it was actually the coming of the literal Messiah. And so he came into the Spirit. He came in the Spirit, prompted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prompts those who draw close to the Lord. Prompted by the Holy Spirit, he came into the temple that very day that the parents of Jesus brought him to carry out the law according to their custom. You know, this waiting thing is, is, is like seasoning in life. It deepens a person. It brings out flavor in life. There's value to be had in waiting. You know, my, my wife made some gumbo the other day, and it was, it was great the first day, but the second day it was like death by gumbo. You know, just as it, you know, as it continues to simmer, you know, the flavors get all mixed up. There's high carbs in it. I wouldn't recommend it, but it was awesome. And that's the nature of waiting in life. It brings out greater flavor. It brings out greater richness in your life, and it makes you attuned to the promptings of God. There's a scripture that says, Do you not know and have you not heard? The everlasting God, the one who is the creator of all the earth, he never grows weary. And his understanding, his wisdom is beyond question. So he has great strength and he has great wisdom. And he gives that strength to those who are tired. Could be you, could be me, tired of waiting. The one who lacks will increase his power. Oh, youth grow weary. 
young men even stumble and fall. It has nothing to do with your vitality. It has nothing to do with your age. It has nothing to do with your health. In fact, the strongest people I know are the people who are strong in the Lord, not necessarily in body. They are the ones who empower our lives, empower our nation. He said, those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up like wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be tired. A friend of mine posted uh, a reflection about this idea of waiting and the maturing process that happens because of waiting uh, in a devotion recently. It's as though Jesus is talking to us. The devotion says, trust me with every fiber of your being. What I can accomplish in and through you is proportionate to how much you depend on me. One aspect of this is the degree to which you trust me in crisis or when facing a major decision. Some people fail miserably here while others are at their best in a tough situation. You know, maybe the major decisions and crisis draw you to God. Not always, but I hope so. But another aspect is even more telling. It's the constancy of trust in your life, not only during difficulty. People who rely on me in the midst of adversity may forget me when life's flow is smooth. Difficult times can jolt you to awareness of your need for me, whereas smooth sailing can lull you into a stupor of self-sufficiency. How are you good at waiting? And are you allowing the Lord to use this time to develop your spiritual depth, your spiritual character, your spiritual maturity? You know, the greatest leaders, and I've studied a lot of leaders, I just enjoy reading about uh, the lives of leaders, I notice are the ones who pay their dues. They're the ones who come up through the ranks. And that's true of great military leaders. That's true of great business leaders. That's true of great religious leaders. That's true of great politicians. Those who pay their dues, those who themselves have been matured, are able then to contribute to society. This was the kind of man that Simeon had become. God doesn't make you wait because he wants to frustrate you. God wants you to wait to develop richness and maturity in your life as he developed it for Simeon. So that Simeon was attuned to the Lord. He understood God and he was able to be prompted by God. And so it is for those who wait upon the Lord. Continuing then with the concept of uh, that you are just a chapter in a greater story that is unfolding. How important it is for you to understand that. That the world is not all about you and it's not all about this moment. But you are still an important part of a greater story. Reading then from verses 28 through 32. And so Simeon took the baby in his hands, the baby Jesus. And he praised God and he said, Lord... Now let your servant depart in peace according to your promises. For I have been permitted to see the salvation which you have prepared for all nations. It's like a light to those who are outside of Jewish faith, Gentiles. And it is the glory of those who are within inside the Jewish faith. It's a salvation story for all people. He understood that he was a small part of a greater story. And that's a powerful thing to know. That no one person in this room is more or less significant than the other. We all have the opportunity to make a difference in things that matter. Everyone has an equal opportunity. There's an important scene at the end of uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan. I don't know if you remember it. It's a story loosely based on uh, a factual event in World War II. 
that was actually uh, spurred uh, in a general's mind because of a, a reading he was doing in Abraham Lincoln's life when a mother had actually uh, sacrificed six of her sons in the Civil War. Lincoln wrote her a personal note. And this general reading that note uh, looked across uh, the soldiers fighting in World War II and, and he found a mother who had already sacrificed three of her sons in battle. And there was one son who had been a paratrooper in Normandy and was behind the lines and no one knew where he was. And he sent a special contingent of soldiers, excellent soldiers, to go and find that boy and bring him back to his mother so that she would not pay the ultimate price. That, that man turned out to be Private Ryan. And uh, when they found him, he was in the midst of a great battle. And in that battle, his uh, entire squad was almost decimated. Uh, and as his captain died that day, he looked at him and he said, earn this, earn this, a man played by uh, Tom Hanks. And Matt Dillon became, uh, was playing Private Ryan. And as he became an old man, it shows you at the end of the movie, he is standing before his captain's marker in Normandy, you know, Captain John Miller. And he says to uh, the grave, he says, my family is with me today. And it shows his family. He's an old man. They wanted to come with me. To be honest, I wasn't sure how I'd feel about coming back here. Every day I think about what you told me on the bridge. Earn this, earn this. I tried to live my life the best I could. I hope it was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes I earned what all of you have done for me. It was like we vicariously lived through that moment. You know, I hope that we have earned what so many have paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And I think about the application to that as, uh, as Simeon understood that he was a part of a bigger story. There's a scripture that says your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price, you know, the blood of Christ Jesus. Therefore, honor the Lord with your life. You know, what a privilege to be a part of a bigger story. You know, to realize that uh, there is an essential element that comes into play, and that is the element of Christ Jesus. As we read in verses 33 and 34 and 35, the concluding statements, it says, Mary and Joseph were amazed at the things that were being said about Jesus. And Simeon turned and blessed them too and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, your baby is appointed for the fall and rise of many. And sadly, a person to be opposed, a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul so that in the end many thoughts will be revealed. You know, where do you stand with Jesus ultimately? Where do you stand with Jesus? You know, for what do you live your life? And by what will you measure the success of your life? You know, for Simeon, he was able to say, you know, I measure my life by service to my Lord. And therein lies my value. You know, one day I will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. Enter into my joy. Therein lies the true meaning, the true value of a life well lived. You know, I, I, I loved rehabbing houses, but I, I walk into some houses in it, and I see that they were at their peak in their prime in the 60s and the 70s. You see the avocado refrigerator, you know, and you, you see the beautiful wall phone, and you just think, this is a total gut. But at the time, it was the best. It was the best of what the culture could offer. And it quickly becomes the worst. You know, if you've built your life only on the things of this life, 
how quickly they pass away, how quickly they become outdated. But if you build your life on that which transcends culture, which transcends a lifetime, on things that truly matter, eternal things, you will never look back on your life with regret as Simeon didn't look back on his life with regret. If you think and understand that you are a part of a bigger whole, that you have the privilege of being an ambassador for Christ to your husband, to your wife, you know, even if they're believers, they still need that witness next to them or to your children or to your grandchildren or to your neighbors, you know, whether or not they receive Christ or don't receive Christ, you have the opportunity, the, the important privilege of being a cog in a bigger will to reveal to them the essential element that makes life worth living. Where do you stand with Christ Jesus? I pray that you stand in good stead in that regard. And that you understand that which is eternally important, not just passing in its significance. So the question remains, how do you measure time? Is it in the moment, like a stopwatch? Do you determine whether your life is successful or unsuccessful based on what is happening right now, this instant? Or do you have a longer view of life? Is it based on what's happening this year, at this phase of life? Was 2013 successful or unsuccessful based on what? Or do you see yourself as a part of a greater continuum, an important part of a bigger story that lives even beyond your own life? Therein lies the key to was it worth the wait? Was it worth the life that you offered as a living sacrifice to your Lord and Savior Christ? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, help us to find the value of waiting, uh, whether, whether it be in slowing down and marking through ritual uh, various passages of life so that we would recognize that these gifts all come from you and we return to you and we honor you for the gifts and for the moments that we share. Uh, thank you for the ritual that you required in the scripture. Or maybe it's just in the, uh, the frustration that comes from waiting that forces me to fall to my knees, that forces me to search the Scripture, that forces me to draw close to you and, and therein receive your Spirit and, and your Spirit's prompting uh, that I might find my way through life and, and through uh, blessing as well as difficulty and come out of it stronger as Simeon did. Or help me, Lord, to uh, see that I'm just a a smaller part of a bigger story and, and to revel in that, that you have considered me important, that I have this moment in life uh, to make a difference in the lives of others, whether it be in mission or whether it be in personal witness or whether it be in my own family. And then help me, Lord, ultimately to look forward to that moment that I, like Simeon, hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, because I have held the Christ child in my heart. And he was appointed for my elevation because I've acknowledged that he was indeed the one who was promised to come into the world, the Savior of mankind. Well, Lord, bless us to find value in our life as Simeon found value in his so that we may say, Lord, now let me depart in peace. Amen.